Sensible chat. Budgeting made easy. Really easy. Welcome to Sensible Chat with your host, Sensible Bobby, the show that is all about budgeting, smart spending, and saving. On this episode, Sensible Bobby is going to talk about the emotional side of budgeting. Today's Sensible University segment features financial advisor Jeff Soha, who discusses how and when to teach your kids about money. And don't miss our Saving Secrets segment for a new savings tip you can use today. So right now, let's get to it. Let's speak to the fiscal fiduciary, the master of money, helping you budget your bottom line. It is Sensible Bobby. Thank you, Scott, for another very creative introduction. Always appreciated. And thanks, everyone, for joining me today. I want to get a little bit personal on this episode because it's been a rough week for me, financially and emotionally, and it really drives home how emotional we can be about money. But this past week also drove home how important a budget is in dealing with the emotional part of money. Last week, I found out someone close to me had just been put on hospice. They didn't know how long she had. So I knew we were going to have to take an emergency trip to see her. And we had to go by plane. Now, I've never booked flights one day in advance, but I knew it was going to cost us quite a bit. Then there's the hotel room, food, transportation to the airport, and on and on. I didn't even want to think about the total price tag. At the same time, my car started having problems and ended up in the shop. One major expense I knew we could squeeze through, but two happening at the same time, I wasn't so sure. I was stressed, but of course I had to find a way. The car had to be fixed. I have an hour commute each way to work, so I'm not going to walk. And I worked hard to get out of debt, and I'm working very hard to build savings to stay out of debt. But when someone is dying, I am willing to go back into debt if that's what it takes so I can be with that person, say goodbye, and get closure. This thought is actually what kept me grounded because I made a decision I knew I was comfortable with. I wasn't panicking about it the way I've been known to in the past. I knew that if it came to it, I could make a plan to pay back the debt quickly and move on. And because I was calm, I was able to start thinking creatively. I didn't want the debt. So, could I find a way to avoid it? I thought back to the beginning of the year, when we had enough in savings to cover almost a month ahead for expenses. That was huge for us. We were so excited. Then came a huge hospital bill. Now, we have an HSA, but there wasn't anywhere near enough in it to cover the bill. Our first thought was to panic, just like we used to before we started budgeting. But not this time. This time, we rolled with the punches just like YNAB teaches. Now, if you haven't heard me sing YNAB's praises before, it's a budgeting app also known as You Need a Budget, and it enables you to categorize your money, plan for the expected and the unexpected, and yes, roll with the punches. So I gathered all the money that was waiting for next month's bills, and it was enough to put toward the medical bill and qualify for an interest-free payment plan to pay the rest, which we set up through the HSA. In 15 minutes, our problem was solved in a way we were comfortable with, and we no longer had to stress about it. Were we crazy about having to fork over all that money we'd worked so hard to save? No, especially since it wasn't saved for that purpose. But guess what? If we hadn't saved the money, we would have had to go right back into debt. So we were thankful. 
Now, what does this have to do with last week? Well, since we paid a large portion of that bill out of pocket at the beginning of the year, instead of using the HSA, we have the option of reimbursing ourselves for the cost. And since we've been able to build up a good-sized balance in the HSA since then, we now had enough money to cover this emergency trip. So we went. I said my goodbyes and made my peace. It was totally worth it. I know I would have forever regretted letting money stop me from having that experience. I've done that too many times. And not having to deal with the emotions of spending money we didn't have, along with the emotions of saying goodbye to a loved one, was priceless. This is why I'm such a huge fan of budgeting. Since we started budgeting, I have peace. I have resources. I think differently about money, how I spend it, and how I save it. And I know that no matter what situation comes my way, I can find a way to deal with it. I'm not saying it's always going to be the ideal way I'd like it to be, but I'm so much more confident that I can handle it and get past it instead of letting it rule my thoughts, emotions, and most importantly, my decisions. Take control of your money. Otherwise, it will control you. If you need help, please get in contact with me. We can establish a budget or just brainstorm ideas about where to find money for emergencies and how to plan ahead for them. Visit the contact page at sensiblechat.com for all the ways to get in touch with me. Now, I'm a huge advocate of teaching kids about money as early as possible so they can start out their adult lives with the knowledge and resources that can help them avoid becoming a slave to their money. So let's talk kids and money with our guest. Okay, money budgeters, Sensible University is now in session. Today's guest professor is Jeff Soha, Senior Advisor and Founding Partner at ARC Financial. Jeff specializes in business and personal financial planning. He's involved in two political action committees where he lobbies Congress on finance and tax regulations. Jeff also speaks throughout the community on topics such as estate planning, stewardship, and financial responsibility. Jeff, thanks for being our guest professor today. Thank you for having me. You know, I saw a poll on creditcards.com that says 6 million parents in the United States have a child under the age of 18 with a credit card. This is a bit scary to me. What is your feeling on it? Well, it depends on how you look at it. I can understand why it might be scary. Uh, It really depends on how the parents are teaching their children how to use the credit cards. I mean, it is 2019, and so... We should use the technology available, and the cash and envelope system isn't necessarily the most common these days. But the most important thing is, are the parents providing education, or do the kids just think, hey, here's this magic piece of plastic? Right, and it it brings up a good point because more and more parents are actually giving their kids credit card allowances instead of cash. And I'm kind of on the fence about that because you're right, it is 2019 and you know it seems like we are moving towards a cashless society. But in the interim, does this take away from kids' ability to learn how to manage cash if they need to? I think that's a really important question. You know, there's been a lot of research done from different payment processors and credit card type companies. And the research that they're looking at is how much brain activity registers when you pay for things through different modes, meaning whether you have to reach into your pocket and get cash and count out the cash to hand over, whether you're writing a check, swiping a card, inserting a chip. Now we have, you know, where you can basically just kind of 
wave, these key fobs. <laughs> and now that every uh, piece of technology wants to save your credit card info, you can buy a lot of things just by a uh, click of a button on your phone. So, you know, probably soon it'll just be on voice command. Hey, send me this thing. And right. So we get totally disconnected from the reality of what's taking place in that transaction. So understanding where the money comes from and that, you know, when that purchase is made through whatever mode, understanding where the money comes from to settle that bill is really important. Right. And I'm not a parent, so I don't have this to worry about. But I would think that, you know, if you have to try to explain that from a place of not using cash, it would be pretty difficult to make the connection, right? Yeah, well, there's a lot of factors there, right? Because if you're making your kids work for money, that's one way to teach them the value of the dollar, right? Are you having them do household chores and then they earn some allowance or credit, I guess, on the credit card? Or if they're old enough, you know, maybe are you making them get a job in the summers, et cetera, so that they can connect work to the cash or the money, and then understand that that money has to go to pay for every time they swipe that card. So, you know, parents really have this obligation to teach their kids really about debt and review that credit card statement with them so that they understand just how much money. And then, you know, if they have a job or you're paying them to do household chores or something, they can really connect with mom paid me $20 to wash her car. And I blew that just, you know, at a fast food restaurant. Well, that's not very cool. You know, and they can start to really understand that exchange. And the other thing is that, you know, when we were kids and got a cash allowance, we just had whatever cash was in our hand. And once it was gone, it was gone. I mean, I would think that now parents would actually have to teach their kids how to track their spending as well so that they know how much they have left. Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, there's a disconnect, not just in the payment mode, but there's a disconnect with money and expenses. And so when you look at where the money comes from today, most of the people's bank accounts, et cetera, are really just digital numbers since we don't get paid in cash and we don't pay cash for many things. So you just have all these digital numbers everywhere. And to kids, it can almost just feel like a video game, like it's not very real. So I think it really starts with the source. Where's the money coming from? How did it get into that screen or into that app or into that account in the first place? And then what happens when you run out? So I think setting really low limits on these credit cards is great because then when the credit card gets declined, that'll start to teach them that it's not an infinite supply. And the other thing is, just as an aside, I mean, this kind of goes away from, you know, them handling their own money. But even though we're moving towards a cashless society, you know, kids uh, a lot of times still take on fast food jobs and things like that as their first job, which they may have to handle cash for. And I've actually experienced kids working at a fast food restaurant who don't know how to make change. Yeah, that's a really sad reality today. Uh, It reminds me of my goddaughter. We were talking about a road trip and how there wasn't cell phone service where they were going to this national park. 
And she said, well, how are we going to get there if we don't have waves? And then I thought, oh, my gosh, they don't understand that, that there's actually maps that you could follow or, or how to write out directions. And so that's one of the downsides of technology when there's still a few gaps. And so learning that is really important. But the education piece can't be understated. I really think that we have a financial epidemic in this country around the lack of education. It doesn't exist in grade school. It doesn't exist in high school. Even if you go to college and get a finance or accounting degree, uh, it still doesn't exist. Those people end up hiring us as clients anyways. And so unless you go out and you really pursue the education yourself, or if you were fortunate enough that your parents had educated themselves and they in turn educate you, it's really difficult to get the financial education you need in our country. And you see that play out both in businesses. Somebody goes out to work, they're doing great at their work. They end up owning a business. They still don't know how to handle the money. So then they try to hire somebody to come and handle the money in the business. And if they're still really successful, maybe they have an ambition to go into politics. And you know, one look at our national debt will tell you that the policymakers don't have a lot of financial education either, and they're making decisions that affect the entire country. So the lack of education is a real issue, and it starts at home, especially since out there in the community, we don't talk about it. Right. You know, It's one of those taboo things. So your kid gets their first real job. They don't walk around to all their coworkers and say, hey, can you show me your paycheck and tell me how you manage that? And what did you spend that money on? And can we look at our bank accounts together? And can you teach me about this? You know, we just don't have those conversations. Yeah, it's so sad because a lot of us were taught a good work ethic, but what to do with the money once it comes into your hands, that's a completely different story. And it seems like so many kids go out on their own now. I mean, once you get out of high school, you know, you go to college, whatever. But after that point, you're on your own and responsible for your own finances and making your household budget work, you know. And it's just really sad that a lot of them don't get that. And I hear a lot of times, you know, there's no financial literacy in schools are very little. It depends on where you live. And that's sad, but you're right. I think it does need to start at home. But if parents didn't get that education, it's harder for them to give it to their kids, right? So what's the kind of alternative? If it's not being taught in schools and the parents don't have the education or the mindset to give that to their kids, what do they do? That's a great question, and that's a great issue that there's not a great solution for. You know, one simple thing that you could do is you could look to someone else in your life that you think maybe has it together or has a better understanding on how to handle finances and ask for help. You know, there are financial planners out there who provide education. One of the challenges in looking for this education online is you have so many competing resources and it's hard to tell who's trying to sell you something versus who's trying to help you. Yeah. So where to get the education is a real challenge. you know. And our country doesn't have it figured out. Some people want to say, well, it's the responsibility of corporations to teach their employees or it's the responsibility of schools to teach the students or somehow responsibility of the government. See, there was this big shift that took place all around 30 years ago or so where 
most companies prior to that had pensions. Hey, you go get a job, you work there for your working career, and at the end, we'll basically continue your paycheck until you die. And that was a great idea, except the companies could not maintain that liability. They could not keep up with the cost, especially with increasing life expectancy. So really, unless you're working for the government who can print money, then you most likely don't have a pension. So then there was this big shift from what they call defined benefit to defined contribution, meaning uh, instead of us guaranteeing your benefit, we'll just match your 401k or something and wish you luck and hope it works out. And so that's why we're starting to see this emerge as this big issue uh, in our country. You know, 85% of Americans have less than $10,000 in their bank account. That's pretty scary. So, you know, there's a whole lack of education and there's not just one solid solution for it. So for the parents who are concerned about this, because in my view, you know, the younger that you can start teaching kids about this, the better. I mean, if they can go out into the world, especially since, you know, what is it? 78% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. So if yeah. we if we could educate kids before they ever got out there to have a foundation under them that would never allow them to have to be in that paycheck to paycheck cycle, gosh, what a blessing that would be, right? But uh, yeah, here's one piece of education that every working person out there right now can take advantage of. And this has been promoted in a variety of ways, you know, whether you hear save first or pay yourself first or whatever. For me, I can relate it to an issue where I've struggled with discipline in my health. And at times I've been healthier than others, but it takes constant effort and discipline and self control. And for whatever reason, our country is not big on those things. So when it comes to finances, one of the really amazing things we can do using the technology today is we can automate some of that discipline. We can go into our bank account and set up an auto transfer that basically deducts our checking account the same day that our paycheck hits and send it to some other financial institution. I don't care whether it's just another bank or an online savings account or whatever. Something that's out of sight, out of mind, not your daily checking account that you're logging into to pay bills or check your balance or whatever. So get it out of your hands because there's this really amazing thing about us is that we all have this innate ability to budget perfectly without any tracking. And you see it because most people will spend exactly what they have. They don't really spend a lot more than what they have and they don't spend a lot less than what they have. They're pretty good at spending right about everything that they have. So if you take the money away right up front, they're still going to spend everything they have. It's just we saved some of it. We automated some of it, got it out of there, out of sight, out of mind, so that it wasn't available in that spending bucket. So believe it or not, I think most people have an innate ability to not go way over their income and expenses there are some people who are really swimming in debt, but I think the majority of people are pretty good at spending exactly what they have. So we've just got to change how much they have and auto transfer that to some other account. And that's what's great about, you know, there's more and more programs now that instead of, you know, it used to be that if a company had a 401k, you could opt into it. And now more and more of them are doing kind of an auto enroll where you actually have to opt out, right? 
Yeah. And, you know, that's another little psychological thing. It's crazy the difference in statistics just by checking a box. If you have to check a box to opt in, the participation rate can be in the single digits. And if you have to check a box to opt out, the participation rate ends up in the 90% range. So it's just a wild psychological thing that takes place. And all it is, is checking a box. Isn't that crazy? But you know, the most eye-opening thing to me, I think about savings was when I realized that, you know, you always hear save early, start saving early and people that are older and I myself, now that I'm older, say the same thing. I wish that I had started earlier, but I never realized that it's more than just how long you have to save. It's about the compound interest. I mean, it's kind of the same as, and even the time frame just by itself without the compound interest, if you have, let's say you're saving for Christmas and it's January, if you have 12 months to save instead of trying to save all the money in November, it's a huge difference, right? Exactly. You know, and, and when people get really focused on the rate of return, usually it's because they're trying to make a miracle happen. They want to save a dollar and have it turn into a million. You know, if you just look at a projection of say 3%, which is roughly a long-term historical inflation average, and you go, okay, well, at 3%, the dollar is going to double every roughly 20 years, 20 something years. So if you need $50,000 today, you're going to need $100,000 in 20 years, and then you're going to need $200,000 in 40 years. And so, you know, that's just at 3%. And then people go, wow, that's amazing how big that number gets just at a low interest rate. So make sure that your money is earning something and it is compounding. Now, let's go back a little bit to teaching your kids and what age you think that parents should start? Because I've heard a lot of debate about the age. And a lot of people feel like, the younger, the better. And, you know, my kid was four years old and I started teaching them and other parents feel like I want my kids to be able to be kids and not worry about that stuff until they're older. What's your view on that? I think right around the time that kids start coming and asking you for money is around the time that they need to be taught. Right. So at whatever <laughs> age that is in your household, if your five-year-old's coming and saying, hey, dad, hey, mom, I need 20 bucks for going to the movies, then you probably need to start teaching them about money. Sure. You know, so I would say whatever age they start saying, hey, mom, hey, dad, I need some money for this or for that, that's around the time that they need to start learning uh, where money comes from and how it's managed. Great rule of thumb. And, you know, I was thinking about this the other day because I've actually heard people say they're too young to understand. And I was thinking the other day, you know, children are sponges. I mean, we learn to speak before we're what? Two? I mean, you know, we learn to read and write by the time we're five or six. So it doesn't seem like it's ever too young for children to grasp certain concepts. Yeah. And it's just a habit. It's a behavior. It's a discipline that you're teaching them. Even if it doesn't involve money and you're talking about it at an early age, you could create a reward system for your kid, a point system. You know, you're doing chores around the house and you get so many points and then you can save those points up and you can cash them in. I mean, look at how motivating all of the reward systems are out there today. So you can create your own in, internally and say, 
hey, at our house, when you put up the dishes, you get so many points. When you take out the trash, you get so many points. And, you know, it could be simple things. Once you get enough points, you can have a friend come spend the night or, you know, we can take you out for an ice cream. So it doesn't have to be really elaborate, but you're starting to teach them that there's this exchange between work and money and money and the things that they want. And if they don't have enough, then the answer needs to be no. And so I think even at a young age, you know, if you're teaching them something, whether it's a point system or you're giving them some money based on chores or, or work that you give them, then when they come and say, hey, mom, hey, dad, I need money to go to the movies with my friends, then the answer can be, well, why are you asking me? Why don't you use the money that you have? And then if they say, well, I don't have any, say, okay, well, that's a different problem. I'm still not going to give you the money, but I can give you some work to do where you can earn the money. So I think maybe a little tough love there really helps. Definitely. I think tough love is definitely important because when you get out into the real world, you know, nobody's going to say, oh, I'll just let you have it, even though you don't have the money for it. So they got to learn early. And I love that point system thing. What a fabulous idea. Now, yeah, um, well, I mean, if you feel like, hey, I don't really have the cash to pay my kids for chores, yeah. you can teach them the same lesson with points, right? And you're probably going to take them out for an ice cream, or you're going to go get a little slushy, or you're going to let them have a friend come over and spend the night, and you're going to have to feed and take care of. You know, there's different things that you're going to do probably no matter what. And so just build a point system around it. You're teaching them the same habit, the same behavior, the same mentality. I mean, it doesn't have to be hard. You could get a piece of paper and write it on the refrigerator and just keep the score on there so they know how many points they have. And if they want a new video game, well, they've got to get so many points before they can get it. That's a fabulous idea. And especially for those who don't have a lot of money, because I have heard, you know, some people say, I don't have the money to give my kids an allowance. And this is a great way to do it. And there's yeah, so many different ways that they can do little things like that. Because like you said, they are going to spend the money anyway. And I think that that's an important reason for, I mean, there's so many important reasons for budgeting. But if the parents have a budget where they know what they have to spend on the child, then it's much easier for them to establish something like that where they can say, you know, okay, you can earn up your points or I can give you a little bit of allowance based on things that they're already going to buy for the kids anyway. Sure. And when you look at, I mean, one thing that points to the lack of education that we're talking about is these kids who are graduating from college these days, and then they act surprised that they have to pay their student loans. Yeah. And I don't understand what they're surprised about. And so what it tells me is that there's not a whole lot of thought going into that debt. There's not a spreadsheet being built saying, well, I'm going to take on $100,000 of debt to get a job that pays $40,000 a year. And what's my lifestyle going to look like? And how long is it going to take me to pay that off? And is that going to prevent me from buying a house later? And geez, maybe I should go to a trade school and I could make... $40,000, you know, as an electrician or something. And so there's not a a purposeful decision happening there. They're just signing a bunch of paperwork. It feels like a free handout. Then they graduate and the banks come calling saying, hey, you got to pay up, you know, and student loans aren't forgiven with bankruptcy. That'll follow you to the grave. So 
you've got to pay and they're not thinking about it in advance. And I think they're not thinking about it and being intentional about it because they haven't been taught. And unfortunately, there's people today who are starting social security and having to use social security payments to still pay off student loans. You know, people aren't paying attention to, is this loan a fixed amortized loan? Is it a floating rate loan? What's the difference? How do they get paid off? So when it comes to student loans, whatever you decide to do, be very intentional, very purposeful. For sure. And I know some people that kind of ran from their student loans because they couldn't pay them. And I don't know, I guess just thought it would go away at some point. And so not only, I mean, they are in retirement now and their social security check is being garnished for that, but it's not only the original loan. I mean, like you said, there's all this interest that adds up. And so it has just ballooned over the years and they never thought about the fact that what used to be a, you know, maybe $30,000 loan is now over $100,000. Right. And unfortunately, it's not a terribly complicated calculation. You know, you would think that as a math problem in high school, specifically, say, for seniors, every high school should be required to have the kids spreadsheet the math problem, student loans, and look at, you know, what kind of salaries they could get and really map it out before they sign that loan document. It's a really sad thing how little education is is being given before they sign on the dotted line, for sure. It's really a compounding effect on our country that's going to end in some kind of negative way. I don't know how it's ever going to get resolved. It seems like our country, our leaders uh, in politics are okay with just continuing to increase the debt. But one of the saddest things that I see in our practice is when somebody says, hey, can you help my parents? And their parents come in who are 70 years old and they're broke and they're used to a lifestyle of spending everything that they made. And now they're having to adjust to some kind of social security, welfare payment. And it's a massive lifestyle change. And so I tell people, you know, your lifestyle is going to be affected and you have a choice about it now. So you should take action while you have a choice because eventually you won't have a choice. You know, it doesn't last forever. You get old, you're unemployable, your house gets foreclosed, your assets start being seized. Next thing you know, your lifestyle has a major adjustment and it wasn't a voluntary one. Right. And that is such a sad thing that, uh, I mean, I wish that we could find ways to avoid for everybody. And and like you said, you have to start when you still have the choices. So let's talk about that for a minute, because you're a financial advisor. But for people that are at the point right now where they're just living paycheck to paycheck, they don't have investable assets and things like that. How do they get to a point where you can help them? Because Typically, financial advisors require a certain amount of investable assets and things like that, right? So how do they get to that point where you can then take over and and help put them on a path towards a successful retirement? Well, it starts with the basics. There is basic financial education out there. There's financial peace education. Churches are teaching financial education now. So it starts with the basic. It starts with automating the savings. It starts with building your emergency fund. It's not complicated. It just requires discipline. And literally, I think if you can't find the discipline within yourself, 
your best option might be to go get one of those last remaining government pension jobs. Because otherwise, you're going to have a rude awakening when you're 70 and your lifestyle has an involuntary change. So if they do get to the point where they can come and visit you and have you then take over and plan for that successful retirement, what does that look like? What do you provide? So if it's a good fit for us to work with someone, we're going to provide really holistic and comprehensive planning. You know, unfortunately, most financial advisors out there are really salespeople and they're either selling a financial portfolio or financial product or insurance product, and they just breeze right through the planning. So I think if your advisor isn't charging for planning, then you've got to wonder where the recommendations are coming from. So I think the real value is in the planning. It's about mapping out your goals, mapping out what are the variables in your life, what are the resources you have to work with, and then really engineering that financial solution, and then making sure you stay on track. So I think the work is in the planning and the value is in the planning. Unfortunately, the industry is full of a lot of salespeople who are just going out pitching a product or a portfolio. So when they work with you, then they get a plan for how they want to live their lifestyle in retirement and what they need to do between now and then to get there, correct? Yeah, that's right. So, I mean, you just map out where we are today, where we are in the future, and then it's essentially just math and science how we're going to get there. The hardest part is really finding an advisor that you can trust that is a fiduciary who's going to sit on the same side of the table with you and that's going to have your best interest at heart and that they're going to be held liable to acting in your best interest. So when a client comes in to work with us, you know they're going to pay for the time just like they would pay an attorney or an accountant or any other professional service. They're going to pay for the time that we spend to really engineer their financial plan and to help them put it in place and keep it in place. So, you know, once they have their emergency fund set up, once they've got some debt paid down, they've established some savings habits, they've got some discretionary cash flow, once they've handled some of those basic fundamental behavioral habit, discipline elements in their financial life, that's when we can really start to work with them because they have the resources for us to help them. The more resources you have, the more options you have, right? Yeah, there's not really any magic in it. And so, you know, if you want to try and drive your car on a road trip and you don't put gas in it, you're not going to get very far. (laughs) So if you don't put cash into your financial plan, you're not going to get very far. Wow. (laughs) I love that analogy. I think I'm going to steal that one from you. Go ahead. If it helps, then promote it all over the place. Awesome. Jeff, thanks so much for joining us today. How can people get a hold of you if they want to find out more about you and your services? Sure. So we're on all the social channels. So whichever one's your favorite, I don't care if it's Facebook or LinkedIn or Instagram, just find us and follow us. Uh, Otherwise, you can always reach out to us via our website at arcfinancial.com. That's A-R-K financial.com arcfinancial.com. Great. Jeff, once again, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. A big Sensible University round of applause for our guest professor today, Jeff Soha, Senior Advisor and Founding Partner at Arc Financial. Visit his website at arcfinancial.com. It's always great to chat with people who are passionate about teaching kids how to manage money. And I love Jeff's rewards program idea as an alternative to traditional allowance. It just goes to show, resources are not just about dollars and cents. 
we can get creative. By the way, if you've got ideas to share, get in touch with me. I would love to hear them. Visit the contacts page at sensiblechat.com. And remember, if you haven't done your school shopping yet, go to the challenges page at sensiblechat.com right now and check out the back to school challenge. It's a teachable moment for your kids and lots of fun. If you value the green, if you save as you go, the wealth is closer than it seems and you can make that cash My new favorite song. That's Cash Flow by Taylor Brown. You can hear the whole song plus my interview with her on the July 8th episode of the podcast and check out our video on YouTube. Welcome to Saving Secrets, where we share super easy and ready to use savings tips. If you've got a saving secret, email me, Bobby, B-O-B-B-I at sensiblechat.com and I'll share your tip on an upcoming episode. Today's saving secret is give yourself an allowance. That's right, an allowance for you, not for your children. Now, how does giving yourself money to spend help save you money? Well, for kids, an allowance is a teaching tool so they can learn how money works, the value of it. But for us as adults, it's about practicing discipline. Let's be honest, we're all going to spend a little money for things we don't need to survive, right? No matter how tight our budget is. So this goes back to the idea of balance. We all know that deprivation in a diet leads to binge eating and deprivation in a budget leads to overspending. So if you give yourself an allowance, you're less likely to feel deprived and go off the deep end on your frivolous spending. Scott and I have an allowance. We get it once a week, every Friday. And it's the same amount each week that we can spend however we choose. But we don't get it until Friday. But Scott wants a raise. (laughs) And he may get one. But this keeps us from having a pile of money on the first Friday of every month and then having nothing left by Monday for the rest of the month. It also keeps us from diverting other, quote, extra money we might get during the month from our savings goals. Let me explain that. On the last episode, we talked about budgeting high for bills and expenses and then saving any, quote, extra money from a bill that was lower than the budgeted amount. But for me, before I had an allowance, it was very easy to take the extra money I had left over from the electric bill and use it to go out to eat. Well, if you do that all the time, you end up with nothing to save. But we were justifying it because we didn't have any money put aside for ourselves. Now we're guaranteed a certain amount each week, but nothing more. So we still get to have our fun and save some money. Since we started doing this, our level of discipline has greatly increased. Who knew giving ourselves money could help us save? We started out with a cash allowance because using a credit or debit card made it too easy to go over budget if we weren't constantly tracking our spending. But now with the YNAB app, I can enter transactions before ever leaving the parking lot of a store. So it's super easy to track. Do it however works best for you, but be honest with yourself and be willing to change methods if it's not working. Otherwise, you defeat the purpose. That's my saving secret. What's yours? Email it to Bobby, B-O-B-B-I, at sensiblechat.com, and I'll share it on the next episode. Now, in the next four months, you've got back-to-school shopping, Halloween, Thanksgiving, and Christmas to plan for and spend on. It's a lot. So if you want help creating budgets or brainstorming spending and saving strategies, go to the contact page at sensiblechat.com and get in touch with me. You can also check out all the articles, plus the 10-Day Budget Challenge and Back to School Challenge, as well as the Christmas Budget Bites video. 
And if thinking about paying for the upcoming holidays is already stressing you out, make sure to listen to the next episode when we'll be chatting with Emily Guy Birkin, author of End Financial Stress Now. It's one of my favorite personal finance books, and I'm so excited to chat with her. You can learn more about her at emilyguyberkin.com. Thanks for listening. And remember to leave a rating and review for this podcast. I'd love to know what you think. Until next time, keep spending and saving the sensible way. That wraps up another episode of Sensible Chat with your host, Sensible Bobby. If you need help with your budget or want to share your thoughts, reach out to her through the contact page at sensiblechat.com. While you're there, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. 